Okay, Justin, I need you to sing me a song that's like a sequel song, if you will, but has nothing to do with the first song that it's a sequel to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I really hate when you do this. You know, like there, there, uh, there's, there's lots of songs that are like a part two. You know what I mean? That's true. But the part two can't have I'll... anything to do with the first one other than the fact that it's a part two. Hmm. That's how I feel about that stupid song, Unforgiven 2, that Metallica did. I honestly have no idea what that song is. I don't listen yeah, to Yeah, that that's music. why. It sucks. And it's supposed to be, Unforgiven was like the classic song, and then they come out with this Unforgiven 2, but the words, the way he sings it in the song, he's like, you're Unforgiven 2. Like, as in 2 also, but... It's a double meaning because it's the Unforgiven 2 song. It's stupid. I hate that song. And actually, friends of mine, they will play that song just to get on my nerves because they know I hate it. So, yeah, there's some meaningless trivia for our listeners. And I didn't sing a song at all. So, yeah, I I really accomplished this, didn't I? Yeah, because you didn't (laughs) sing a song and you just started speaking Metallica, which I fucking know nothing about. (laughs) Like, the funny thing is about Metallica is the one album I kind of like is the one that's, like, universally hated by fans. Saint Anger? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That I knew that had to be the one. I actually kind of like Saint Anger as much as I would a Metallica album. Like, the, the capacity I have in me to like a Metallica album is just kind of there. And it's kind of for that one. But, like, not enough to actually matter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I knew you never were much of a fan of them or anything like that. Even when people, I think, you, wouldn't you roll your eyes when somebody would bring up Metallica or something? I, I'm pretty sure I remember some days at the theater where you'd just be like, ugh, when somebody brought up Oh, you should have seen my fucking eyes roll when you mentioned it just a little bit ago. Oh, I, I could practically see him. I could practically see him, man. I, mean, I could. I, mean, I think it's solely because everybody thinks... I'm a huge Metallica fan, just solely based on the way I look. You know, I'm bald. I've got a beard, tons of piercings and tattoos. And they're just like, yep, that's a Metallica fan. Like, if you I had see that, if you had to draw a Metallica fan, it'd probably be like a version of me, probably just with long hair. Like, that's the thing I'm missing <laughs> yeah. is that I don't have long hair. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you're totally right. And then I'm just none of it. I've just never liked Metallica. I don't even I don't even really listen to metal or any of that shit anymore. Now you want to talk to me about some fucking pop music? We can go all day about some Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> mm, Kelly, but just nothing. She's good. Just nope. Metallica. That's really about it. I can't even name a song off Saint Anger. I just know that I've heard some songs off it, and I was like, oh, that's okay. And that's about it. <laughs> and that's about it. And that's the, the 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 most positive reaction any Metallica. Pretty much, yeah. Song is ever that's how you, you. That's like the best Metallica reaction I've ever got given. That's all right, I guess. And they went, "Are you going to buy that album?" I'm like, "I didn't say that. I just didn't roll my eyes when the song played. Doesn't that count?" <laughs> Damn. And to be even slightly more controversial, I actually like Lars's snare drum sound on that album. Oh man, now you're really now now you're oh my, oh my gosh. But the thing is, is I I I am a drummer. And so I actually just like the sound of the natural bell brass snare. I mean, at least give me credit. I know exactly what snare it is. It was the Tama yeah, Lars, that's true. Lars Ulrich six, uh, 14 by six and a half bell brass snare. And I think it's, I think it's a nice sounding drum, you know, 
What can I say? I yeah, love- that's what that's one thing I'll give you. You do have knowledge of that. You were a musician. So, I mean, you do have knowledge of that, unlike a lot of people who do complain about that. So, I, I mean, actually, I get it. It had a lot of ring to it. Holds a little more weight. It had a lot of ring to it, but I was just like, oh, that's a natural sounding snare drum. That's how all snare drums sound ever. Most of, like back in the day, we used to have to like take pillowcases pillow and like cut them into strips and put them under the top snare drum head to get rid of that ring. And that was our, you know, 30 seconds of drum talk. Let's go ahead and uh, let's, let's cue that intro music. <laughs> Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I am joined by Heather and Justin. And if you could not tell by the song hint I gave Justin, we will be talking about Brahms, colon, The Boy 2. And we're also going to talk about uh, the newly released The Invisible Man. Uh, as always, we're going to talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between. But we are going to start with Brahms, The Boy 2. And we are going to go spoiler-free, give a recommendation, then go spoilers. Then we'll follow it up with uh, doing the same format again for The Invisible Man. There will be time codes in the description. So if you need to skip around anything like that, go ahead and uh, check those out. So that way you'll uh, know where to go. So who do I torture first by making them talk about Brahms the Boy 2? Um, Heather, how about you? Since it's your fault, we <laughs> fucking watched them. I think that was a collective effort. I don't think that was just me. Oh, that was not a fucking collective effort. Justin was like, I kind of want to see it because I want to eat popcorn. And then you went, well, I'm going to watch it anyway because I watched the first one. And then I go, wait, there's a first one? Knowing that this is a two, but still just not thinking there's a one. And then you were like, yeah, <laughs> we're, I'm going to watch it. And then Justin's like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. And so then I bought the first one so he could watch it. And it was this whole to be fair, just bullshit chain reaction of <laughs> deathness all because of you. Okay. To be fair, you were the one that said, you know what, if you guys want to watch the first one, I will buy it and we can talk about it if you guys really want to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm I did say that. That's what you said. Because I'm a team player. Mm. And I you're patient zero for this it. pandemic that is this fucking movie. Well, <laughs> in that case, I guess you probably will be happy to know that I did not like it. <laughs> um, I didn't think yeah, there was another option. um you're right there's not uh no it's not good i mean i didn't really go in expecting that it would be the first one wasn't even that good but you know like we said i saw the first one so i'll see the second one um it is very lacking in a lot of ways in the story and the characters just kind of in the consistency of from the first and the second even though they don't you know necessarily uh it's not like a direct sequel so that's fine but just the there's some inconsistencies with how some of some things went in the first and the second one um just the i i didn't really care too much for any of the characters i didn't think that any of the decisions they made were great um (laughs) and there wasn't really a whole lot of actual scary anything in it um you know, so I, I I can't, it's kind of just a run-of-the-mill, you know, n- not first-rate horror movie for me. 
Um, again, I have seen several crazy B-rated horror films. This is not any better than any of them. Uh, it's worse than a lot. It's not as bad as some other ones. It's really just forgettable at best. So for me, that's kind of where I stand with my feelings on this movie. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Well, I guess you win the award for brevity on this. Uh, Justin, what about you? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, pr pretty much. Okay, so this is a sequel. And yes, that we did. I had to watch the first movie in order to go into this one. So, yeah, this was just a very painful experience for me. Um, these movies just aren't even like the types of bad movies that, you know, they're bad, but you enjoy them. You get a laugh out of them or there's the, the acting so cheesy or things that happen are just so stupid that it actually makes you laugh or it gets kind of a reaction out of you. But this is just joyless, just lazy material so it's just kind of one of those movies where it's not bad enough it's not cheesy or bad enough for you to for you to react and go oh my gosh this is so terrible but it's also not good enough for you to care about anything that's happening so you're just left in this lull just this non-caring lull the entire time and that's really how i felt and, you know, just talking about the second movie in particular, it just feels like a really lazy effort. It's just like how, you know, when you're not giving a good effort at something right, you know, when you're half-assing something, or you know, when someone is not giving a good effort right, there's just not that energy uh, coming to whatever the project is. There's, you're just not, uh, you're just not up for it. It's just one of those days where you don't feel like working and you just know, you know, my effort is not going to go into this. And this movie, I mean, I understand why it was made. I, I understand. And I'm sure Sterling will want to go into some of the box office reasons because it's astounding what the first movie actually did. I'll save that for him because I know he has the specific numbers, but this just feels like an awfully lazy sequel. Like, it didn't seem like it, It you know, you can feel when a movie is trying. You can feel when a movie is ambitious. Some Certain movies, man, especially when it comes to horror, they're, they're, they're so ambitious because they carry this energy. You can tell with every scene what the actors are trying to do, with every shot, with every frame. You can just tell when a movie is really trying to be something beyond its source material, really trying to send a message home or really trying to get you to feel something. And I just feel like this is, Brahms the Boy 2 is just the total opposite of that. I feel like it was a sequel where they came up with an idea and they succeeded, you know? It, it has a beginning, middle, and end. There is an idea, there is a story, but it just, I mean, but nothing about this feels ambitious. It's basic as hell. And all of the jump scares are just so typical to everything that you've seen a million times. I mean, it's not even, they're not even trying anymore in this movie. Like, I mean, how many times can you do the somebody is in the background, character looks over, and then there's nobody there? Or, you, you know, just these things that you would expect 
just uh, if you just took a horror movie uh poster and you had a bunch of darts and you were just throwing darts at different ideas you you would probably just hit a lot of the ideas in this movie dark figures in, in the background and the 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 character in the foreground can't see them uh kid you know kid who can uh understand ghosts and ghouls and stuff and the, the the parents who can't you know struggling parents who just seem to make bad decisions and uh, you know and and then on top of that i feel like the story just it, it 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 even changes things from the first film and tries to pretend like all of these things in the film are canon things in the film and we'll go into specifics i'm sure here in a moment, so I won't go into any spoilers, spoilers now, but yeah, just a, a lazy effort from top to bottom, and I, this is not a movie that I can recommend, especially given some of the uh, other horror material that's out right now. Whoa, guys, how dare you say that this is a lazy effort? You were implying <laughs> that there was an effort. <laughs> What the fuck is this movie? I went into this not watching the first one. Because I was like, I don't need to see no The Boy to understand what the fuck's going on. And then I watched this movie. I had no fucking clue what was going on. Not that it was like a super complex plot or anything like that. They were just kind of just throwing random shit that was in other movies on the screen. And hoping one of those would resonate with somebody. And would justify this flaming bag of dog turd. That they filmed. <laughs> and then I went and watched the first one afterwards and realized that they just went and did a different thing. They made a sequel to a movie that does not exist. Yes. This is not the boy exactly. two. This is Brahms <laughs> the boy remake. Like they rebooted the movie like two years later because this is not the same shit. And then I went to the IMDb and was like, what the fuck are these people doing? Let me look this up. And it turns out it's the same director as the first movie. Which blew my mind hmm. that he filmed the first one and went, you know what? This isn't the same movie, but we're just still going to say it's a sequel. And then I looked at the writing credits. It's the same writer also. So the same writer and the same director did both these movies, yet could not wow. figure out a way for these two to actually connect to each other other than the fact that there is a doll named Brahms in both of them. And that is it. Like, it's so bonkers that... There is a house on this land that's the guest house, which is bigger than most actual houses, that turns out to just be the guest house to the house of the first movie. Except in the first movie, they mention no full-size mini mansion also on the property because it makes no sense. There's just zero, zero correlation. There's zero connection. There is zero effort. That's why you can't even say it's a lazy effort, Justin. They just went, well, we're going to use a doll. We're going to name it Brahms again. That is it. <laughs> that is it. They vaguely reference characters from the first movie. Like, you know, they're like, oh, their names are the Cobblestoners or whatever the fuck their names were. And they were like, yep, the Cobblestoners were there. And they went and walked into a lake together or some shit. And they kind of show that. And you're just like, okay. And then when you watch the first movie, you're still going, oh, okay. Because it's still just garbage either way. I mean, this is like if they did a sequel to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And instead of there being like Freddy Krueger like terrorizing somebody's dreams. 
He just terrorizes you if you eat Taco Bell. <laughs> like, that's the correlation. That's the same type of cause and effect, like, of the first movie and the second movie. It is just utter and complete nonsense. And, like, I like I said, I watched the first one after seeing the second one. And I'm kind of angry because I watched the first movie, which is just utterly terrible. And yeah. it seemed like a goddamn masterpiece compared to that mm-hmm. fucking for the second one. Like, I could even retro, like, retroactively go, oh, that was a good movie. No, I actually had to waste more fucking time on this universe and watch the first one after the second one to just go, it's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, the second one sets the bar so fucking low for the first one that the first movie literally... Could have just been a doll sitting in a chair with some fucking music playing for nine and a half hours. And I would have stood up and given it a round of applause like I'm watching some shit at the fucking Sundance Movie Festival. And I did. I'm pretty sure my roommates thought I was fucking insane that night because it's a late Sunday night. And I'm just standing in the basement fucking clapping my ass off for the boy. (laughs) Because that is a achievement in filmmaking. Compared to its sequel in every way, shape, or form. And if you've seen the first one, you would think that that like those words would be impossible. And they're not. Not after you see that Brahms the boy too. Which also, what the fuck is with movie production companies coming up with the stupidest ways to throw a fucking colon in the fucking title, making it the stupidest thing in the world to actually say out loud? Like Brahms, colon, The Boy 2. That's right up there with the name change for Harley Quinn, colon, The Birds of Prey. (laughs) Why couldn't they just call it The Boy 2, Brahms? It's just as stupid, but it's... Or just The Boy 2. (laughs) Yeah, or or just The Boy 2. But, like, if you really want Brahms in there, just call it The Boy 2, Brahms. That's at least not as stupid to say, say out loud. Brahms the boy. It does sound like you're stupid when you say it. No, because it's Brahms it the boy too. <laughs> it literally sounds like you're saying Brahms the boy also. Like you're doing a yeah. weird fucking parody of Robin the boy wonder. Brahms the boy too. Yeah. <laughs> like, why couldn't they call it the boy too? Colon, Brahms, the doll at it again. Something. Just anything. It's just like these people come up with these titles that I guess look good on paper because no one actually says them out loud until like shit's out in the movie theater and people have to actually say, Hey, do you want to go see Brahms the boy too? And then all you do is think like, Oh, did I just have a stroke? Because that should never be an actual sentence. (laughs) But doesn't it make it sound like because of how they title it, that it's going to be more of like an origin story or whatever of, the doll? I don't actually think that it's not. It could have been. Mm. It could have just been that stupid of an origin. Because I yeah. this movie literally retcons the entire universe. Like, yeah. and, and in the spoilers, I'll go into it way more intricately. But it goes from the boy, which has its own specific way of what the boy is. And then to this movie, which is... Every supernatural doll in the history of existence ever that's ever been in a movie. Yeah. And it's just, that's not what the first one was. And so in a way, this does get slightly prequel-ish. Because it goes back to like at least 2000 BC with the origins of this doll or some shit. (laughs) 
Like, I'm sure they said something about ancient Sumeria or Babylonia or some fucking shit. Like, they were just going into the history of this doll like I needed to get Tobin's spirit guide from fucking Ghostbusters to actually look up the history of the malevolent spirit that's in this doll. Like, it looked like they should have put in there somewhere that, like, what, Vigo, the, uh, the Carpathian. Like, this was his childhood doll growing up, and it would have made just as much fucking sense. All right, I'll keep, I'll quit with the deep cut of Ghostbusters lore here. But it's the only thing that can slightly bring me joy is to just think about things that are actually good and wholesome and decent in this world. While I have to talk about this piece of shit of fucking film. <laughs> Justin, what's your recommendation score? Do I recommend? Uh, no, <laughs> I do not. And uh, I think I've already said enough about it. Do you recommend the boy one? You know what? If you if you want to see the boy too, you're gonna I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna force you to do what I have to do. You have to watch the boy one. So yeah, you know what? If you if you plan on watching this, I, I, you need to watch the boy one. Watch it. Watch it. So you're gonna make somebody like somebody's friend buy them the movie so they can watch it first to be more like you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You got to do exactly like what we have to do you got to watch the boy one and then you got to watch this one otherwise no deal now what's the skill score for this stupid shit we're gonna give it man let's see one hand we'll give it five from off of just the fingers on my one hand so it gets a five and we'll give it five at first i was <laughs> an actual boy in the first movie but now i'm a ghost spirit in the second movie at a 100 this movie sucks. Heather, your turn. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't recommend uh, Brahms the Boy 2. I think it's, yeah, uh, it's it's just not coherent. It's not really that entertaining. It's There's nothing really memorable about it. Forgettable is really the best word that I could think of with this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend the first one over this one. I definitely like the first one better, but I don't actually recommend either, honestly. But um, yeah, I'm going to give this a... Um, hmm, I'm going to give it a 15 random masks that silent children find out of 100. <laughs> Fuck this movie. Fuck it. Fuckity fuck fuck this movie. I'm giving this the same amount of effort that they put into this fucking sequel and giving this a fuck this movie. Damn. Spoilers, if you give a fuck about, I don't know, anything, I guess, don't listen to spoilers. I don't know. I don't, like, I don't give a fuck about this movie and whether or not I spoil it. <laughs> but I, and I don't know why I saved this particular criticism of this movie for the spoiler section, because it's not a spoiler, because it really doesn't matter in the movie. But towards the beginning of this movie... Katie Holmes and her son are attacked in the middle of a burglary that was the most unburglaryly thing ever filmed because it straight up looks like a fucking assassination. Like, they weren't stealing shit. They were out to murder her like she's like an right. unknown princess to this country whose queen just died. Like, what the fuck? That would have been a more entertaining movie. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. They didn't even have Walmart sacks to carry loot. There were these just two muddy motherfuckers <laughs> wearing fucking combat pants. What I think were flak jackets. I, I, I don't give a fuck. And then like ski masks, but not like normal ski masks. No, those were like military grade textured ski masks. Like they were all hardcore paramilitary like gear. 
And I, what were they trying to rob? Like, because I guess they weren't even carrying a bag, anything, duffel bag, nothing. Were they just like, hey, we're the cargo pants bandits. If we can't fit them into our cargo pockets, we don't take it. And then just be like, oh, no, this woman caught us. We better almost beat her to death. <laughs> like, and also, they were just the worst thieves ever. Because, like, if you're like, oh, we don't want to get caught. And if we do get caught, we might have to murder somebody so we don't get caught type of thieves. If somebody's walking down a set of stairs that you can literally see through, why would you just st stand there? Like Katie Holmes yeah, was a fucking T-Rex. And if you don't move, she can't see you. Yeah. Like, come the fuck on. That was just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That motherfucker stands there like he's a fucking silhouette. That if he just goes, if I stand here, she'll just think I'm a coat hanging on the stairs. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> He stood there. <laughs> he stood there as if he knew, like, if I stand here, this is going to make a great shot for the audience. That's what right? it felt like. <laughs> yeah, totally. If I and stand did, there, I it's going to call no, back to the fucking it. scene five minutes earlier when the kid did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it felt like like you said it didn't feel like a real robbery at all it just felt like a robbery because this is a plot point and so everything just felt so manufactured yes. just like him standing there that's exactly what it felt like no justin you were absolutely wrong it didn't feel like it was a robbery for the sake of a plot point it felt like they were there to film a world world star video of them just beating a bitch's ass to put on fucking line yeah Actually, you're right. It, it did feel more like that. Because like you said, what were they robbing? There was no, you didn't see them pick up anything, grab anything. There were no bags they were carrying. It was just him standing there for the cool shot. Then they walk, then they scare her. She's like, ah, it's not my son this time. It's a burglar. And then she's getting beat up. And that was it. And yes. this is a slow traumatizing shots and that was it that's all they showed us like that's it it was the most useless of plot points like why couldn't we do the stereotypical they got in a car accident just got in a car accident she almost died he tried to save her but couldn't so he's traumatized why couldn't we do that like it wouldn't have helped this movie but it would have made me hate it a lot less <laughs> yeah totally. i would have given it probably at least a negative 50 if they had done that I would have given it a score that had numbers to it. But, like, that's just how little this movie actually tried. Like, and then when they go into telling the history of the Brahms doll, which, after you see the first movie, has to be the most confusing fucking scene in movie history. It was. Because it was mostly confusing to me because I'm just like, they're just saying a bunch of shit and showing pictures that I don't think matters. But then after seeing the first movie, you realize they are literally just making shit up. And I understand it's a fictional movie. <laughs> it's all made up, but they are making up more shit on top of the other shit they've made up so much to the point that like it feels like a four-year-old telling a story when they're like, hey, tell me about this doll. And they're like, well, actually, this doll was a little boy that was in the wall for 30 years. But before that, he was a doll at a factory that burned down. And before that, 
he was a doll for a princess in Albuquerque and like just saying a bunch of random shit, just saying that the doll was there. Like it literally would not have surprised me if they showed that doll sitting there while Rome burned down and like Nero's playing the fiddle or some shit. Like they were just saying shit. And like, and then at one point, I think they were just saying that somebody that owned this doll, I don't know, killed somebody in a bed. I think that that was a picture they showed that, you know, looked at like that stereotypical, this book is from the like the 1700s type of artwork. I don't know. Yeah. There was something about a World War One soldier or something. I don't know. I don't even think they actually know. I mean, it just literally felt like they hit a button on the mixing, on, on the editing console. There was just like, hey, insert random movie scenes. And that became the history of the fucking doll. It was magically named Brahms after the kid from the first movie who was the doll in the first movie. Like, let's let's go ahead and say all this. This doll is now a supernatural demon doll that's been killing people or infecting kids or whatever or for at least... At least a hundred years by the time this movie happens. At least a hundred years. He has been on a murderous rampage of getting kids to kill people. All the way up until 30 years before Bra or before the boy, where all of a sudden this doll just shows up to not actually be a supernatural doll, but just to be a doll. So a weird person can live in a wall and move a doll and his parents will play along with it for 30 fucking years. And then come out and break the doll and just be a murderer's stupid fuck. Just to then, I guess, die and possess the doll when the fucking housekeeper that was never mentioned before happens to put the doll together because he's been cursed to protect this doll because he's, I don't know, affected at one point in his life. And saying all of it out loud makes it make less sense somehow. Yeah. I mean, it just completely idiotic how they just change. And, and that's just and that's why when you say the first one feels like a masterpiece compared to the second one, I totally agree with that because, God, at least in the first one, they tried to do something beyond. They made you think, OK, this doll made these parents believe that this doll is alive, but it's really not. And then it was like, uh-oh. And then as the story builds, it's like, uh-oh, not not a great, it, by the way, it's not building great, but it is trying to get you to say, okay, is the doll alive? Then the film gets you to a place where you're like, okay, the doll is alive. Then the big twist is, no, the doll is not alive. There is actually a boy who's been, <clears throat> the actual son has been living in the walls and this is all kind of, a ruse that this doll is a ruse and this boy is actually living in the walls and at least man that feels like an idea where you're trying that that feels like an idea where you're like look why why don't we make it seem like it's the doll but then it's not really that at least seems like effort and then well, like you said then i was just gonna say oh, the first movie is a story it's a dumb story it's a story that never yeah. need to be told but it is at least a point A to point B story. True. This is True. just fucking like they played Mad Libs, the boy edition. <laughs> and they didn't even always put nouns when it said put a noun. They're like, oh, we're looking for a noun. And they put possess. Like, Wait, what? No, that's a verb. And they go, nope, too late. Can't erase it. Are, are you going to finish your side? Oh, uh, no, all I wanted to say was just that no, but that's exactly why 
it just bothers me to no end because it's an insult. It feels like an insult to your intelligence. I don't know if you guys felt like that, but I most certainly did because it just felt like in The Boy 2, it's trying to tell me this stuff. And I'm like, wait a second, man. You didn't do this in the first movie. None of this was in the first movie. How does this, how does this history of this dog killing over all of these years, how does that make sense with what you gave me in the first movie? with the kid being named Brahms and all that stuff. How would Brahms have lived throughout all those hundreds of years before this family and this Brahms kid came into play? And that's why it's just so stupid. Like they just, and it's just such an insult to your intelligence to suddenly act like, oh, this doll, this spirit has been living in this doll the whole time. When clearly in your first movie, there was no spirit. We saw, you did the same shit in the first movie, man. You shattered that doll and there was nothing in that doll. Absolutely nothing. It was just a doll. And now all of a sudden there's a flesh, demonic, soulish thing in it. And I'm like, dude, you can't just do one thing in one movie and then just tell me another and just think I'm okay with that. Like, are you just going to lie to me straight up? And like, and that thing that was in the doll, I think perfectly encapsulates what this movie is because that made no sense. Visually speaking, that spirit entity that was in the doll made no sense. It didn't look like a demon. It didn't look like a doll. It didn't look like any anything at all and i think yeah. that perfectly encapsulates like what this movie keeper. is i think that's an insult to the crypt keeper because <laughs> the crypt keeper visually makes sense to me it looked like they took the inspiration from the crypt keeper one of those weird mask things from crash bandicoot <laughs> those voodoo. um the the voodoo guy from Boomba from from uh, major league that Serrano <laughs> prays to um, a, a literal piece of dog shit. <laughs> and they just took all those and just kind of meshed them together. And they were like, yep, that's the spirit on the inside. Like what the fuck? Yeah. And I, I do. I totally, yeah. It makes sense though. Like what you say about that totally encapsulates what this movie is because it's telling you on the outside, it's one thing on the inside. It's a completely different thing that you're like, why, you know, like the they made so much effort to explain the whole the boy lived in the walls for however long and then you know in the first one you see that the boy is the one controlling this doll and then suddenly in the second one that's not it so yeah and then like they mentioned that like 95,000 times that the boy was in the wall and <laughs> i had no idea based on this movie that that was the story of the first one because it just it, there it, it it doesn't connect it doesn't the guy living in the wall being a serial killer fuckface at the end of that movie and they mention all that they mention the entire plot of the first movie in this movie i did not know that that was the same movie as the first one because there is no connection other than the fact that they mention it and also let's just use some logic here guys if you were looking at a serial number on a doll and it was 606H. And you typed it into the <laughs> magic, I know everything about a doll Google finder. <laughs> and it said no results found. Wouldn't you automatically also think that if you look at this, yeah. it's H909? 
Yeah. Yes. Immediately, that's where your mind goes. Immediately. Yes. Like, it's just, it's not even, like, imaginable that you wouldn't automatically go, oh, well, it's probably just this then. And then, how the fuck did that website know everything about that doll? It was like, its owner had scrambled eggs for breakfast on a Tuesday in 1975. Like, it knew everything about that doll. What the fuck? Like, and it was all just to fill in fucking bullshit. That was all just to give that random backstory that this doll, doll's been around for centuries killing people. That was the whole purpose of that search engine. Was just the, hey, is my doll a mass murderer? And it just should have been four dolls on there. There should have been a Chucky doll, <laughs> an Annabelle doll, the fucking doll from the Goosebumps, and that doll. <laughs> and you should just click what, which one you have. And it would tell you the history of it. <laughs> do you really need a serial like a serial number for that there's four fucking possible dolls you have if you have supernatural shit happening at your house <laughs> that's it there are no other options it's just the four you're right I yeah mean, or if they really wanted you know to be a little bit cheeky about it they could have had mac from mac and me dressed up as a big teddy bear just to have a little fun <laughs> mac and me like if they had done that that would have at least made more coherent sense than what they did with having that H606 or that 606H and H909 mess up, like mess up they had. Like fucking A. Like it was one of those things, like when that happened in the movie, I was like, wait, why didn't she just type H909? And then it comes back to that scene later when they <laughs> do it. And I was like, oh, they literally just wanted to put nine days in between doing the next logical thing. Pretty much. Oh, fuck this movie. And then, okay, at the end, when you have the dad from The Witch, who is the housekeeper, which I'm severely disappointed in that guy because he was great in Iron uh, in Game of Thrones and he was great in The Witch. And then he just does this dog shit of a movie. And so whenever somebody else breaks the doll, the demon inside the doll goes, let me get mad at the guy that didn't break me and attacks him <laughs> yeah, with like, demonic power. Yeah, like why? Like, why would you not just kill the dad that just broke you? Like, why would you literally kill, like, attack the guy with demonic powers that was trying to not get you broke? Like, that is the most dumb 80s cartoon villain shit ever. Where you always had the villain go, oh, my plan was foiled. Let me attack my henchmen, even though the good guy's standing in front of me. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? And then, okay, so then you throw it in the fire. Well, then how come you can put on that mask and you're still Brahms? So now, okay, I got rid of the Brahms, the boy, the doll. But now that I have this Brahms, the boy, the mask, I'm still Brahms. Like, what? Like, well, Why did this movie weirdly become Son of Mask at the very end? Yeah. <laughs> That's insane what it was like i was expecting jamie kennedy to show up doing a very <laughs> shitty ass jim carrey impression for a half an hour after at the end of this movie like what is it is it the doll is it the mask is it neither because it shouldn't have been based on the first movie like what are you doing movie and then like also what good does it do to throw glass into a fire like <laughs> and it's just like a regular flat like fire it's not like a glass furnace no it's just like a regular fire like, if I go and light a fire in my fireplace and throw some glass in it, do you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Because it's just fucking glass and it's a normal-ass fire. Like, it's going to be hot. <laughs> I can't touch it. 
I can't just reach out, reach in and grab the glass. But the glass isn't going to get destroyed. Like, come on. I just don't understand this movie. And then, like, <laughs> whenever, like, the rules that they set in the first movie that they have in the second movie make sense in the first movie. Because it's like, oh, you have to feed Brahms because then the guy would come out of the wall and actually eat the food. Yes. Are they saying that the doll actually ate the food in this movie? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> Are they saying the doll actually ate the food? The doll that can't even open its mouth. The doll that has no internal organs. Are they saying it ate food? Is that what they're saying? I need answers. Can you also specially order clothes so that you can dress like the doll as well? Because that happened a lot. Right. <laughs> because they were like, oh, why are you dressed like that? Yeah. <laughs> The mom didn't even know. She's like, yeah. oh, you're, that's yeah. weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How would you not know your son's wardrobe? The exact outfit. How would he have it? He just and, had it. And like how serendipitous that, you know, whenever Steinmart had a fucking clothes sale that she forgot about, that she, buy, she, that she bought clothes that happened to match the 1920s. So this doll would feel right <laughs> at home. I mean, I get it. It's Steinmart. All their clothes are from the 1920s. But you think you would remember something. I mean, they're acting like if you have an Argyle sweater vest, that that's just a normal, you know, part of an 11-year-old's wardrobe. You know, it's not like me with just basic black t-shirts, you know, where I might forget which black t-shirt I bought where because they're all just plain black t-shirts. But if I got an Argyle sweater vest, I'm sure as fuck would remember that. It's a very distinctive statement piece. <laughs> True. I mean, and again, this is just like, this is people sitting there going, oh, you know what would be cool if they both walked in and they had on the same thing. But, and yes, that's creepy and weird. And the mom would go, oh man, that's creepy and weird. But when you think about the logistics to have to make that happen, it's just so silly. But like, it's, but, but it makes for a cool scene. Just like the guy standing under the stairs. It's the same shit, man. It's just somebody going, oh, this would be cool in a scene and not thinking about anything other than that fact. And like, what about the fact that they added Wi-Fi to the guest house in this movie? Because they specifically mentioned in the first movie that there's no internet there. That they add internet right. to this movie just so they could go to evil doll Google. <laughs> that is the sole yep. reason why they yep. added internet to this movie. And also so the doctor could say, oh, a doll is an outlet for a little boy's anxieties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, why is it that like when the doctor says that she starts Googling dolls and little boy anxieties, like she starts literally Googling the thing the doctor said was okay. Like she was going to find something at, like she was going to find that one New York Times piece that was like, hey, that's a perfectly valid way for a tra traumatized child to cope with the world around them. But just make sure it's not demonically possessed. <laughs> or like she was looking like for the BuzzFeed article that's like 50 signs your doll's possessed by a 30-year-old man. <laughs> I'm really tired of this movie. Yeah. Do you guys want some statistics real quick? Because Justin, you know, put me in a corner making sure I was going to mention this. I had to, to, to make sure you put this in there. No, and I, I was going to. Because I was very curious as to why the first boy got a sequel. So as always, that means I go look up box office numbers. So this first movie came in with a $10 million budget. We're talking about The Boy from 2016. So it had a 
10 million dollar budget this movie grossed domestically 35 million dollars so just based on domestic really? yeah just domestic numbers alone the boy was considered successful but then when you add in that worldwide box office it jumps up to 74 million worldwide wow. on a 10 million dollar budget that is a rousing success of unheard of proportions yeah, that's phenomenal, actually. I know you're probably thinking, oh, 60 million, that doesn't seem like much, but no, to a $10 million budget, that is actually phenomenal. That's so surprising. Like, wow. But if it makes you feel any better, I don't think we're going to get a Brahms the Boy 3 and how I learned to love myself. Brahms the Boy, Brahms the Boy, the Mask. <laughs> Brahms the Mask, the Boy 3. <laughs> yeah. What would that be? A colon, comma, comma? No, what is it's, it's going to be Brahms the Boy 3, the son of. No, the son. <laughs> it's going to be the son of Brahms the Boy 3. Son of Brahms the Boy 3. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> They're not going to make it, though, most likely, because this movie worldwide has actually only made $16 million on the same $10 million budget. So I don't think we're going to get a sequel on this one. But, I mean, that's, you know, because I'm including marketing numbers, which is the rough rule of thumb of at least two times which nowadays it actually tends to be 2.5 times. But I can't really say they did a lot of marketing on this. They could have only done a million dollars of marketing, and I wouldn't be surprised because what did you see of this other than the fucking trailer and the poster? Like, I don't even think I've seen a TV spot for this or like a little ad on Facebook. So I don't know. They might have spent fucking nothing on this fucking advertising, but who knows? Hopefully we don't get a third or hopefully we do get a third. Who knows? Maybe the third one is what we need to tie it all actually together. I'm just kidding. This writer or director don't know what the fuck they're doing. They can't even go from the first movie to the second movie and just have it make sense. All right, you guys want to go on to The Invisible Man? Yes, please. Oh, one more quick thing if I could say about this movie. Um, I also thought it was weird with the whole how, like, you know, at the beginning, Katie Holmes's character gets attacked and all that stuff. They made this big thing about like how she doesn't want to leave the house after that because of what happened. I would feel like if you got attacked in your own home, you would want to be anywhere but your home. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, how it would be, but either that or like just didn't want to be at home alone ever. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of weird that they were like, oh, you just you never go out and do anything. And I feel like that's I would want to more so go out and not be at home if I got attacked in my own home. But and also, like, no offense to Katie Holmes, but, like, in this movie, it kind of just seemed like she didn't know, like, she had to act to be a parent. Like, <laughs> she was supposed to be this, like, you know, really good mom and all these things, like, as if she doesn't have kids and know how to be a parent. Like, all of her lines and everything she said just seemed very, like, I wouldn't know what to say on my own, so I'm just reading these lines as if I don't know how to have children. It was very apparent that she was like just reading lines instead of an actual conversation with her kid. I don't know. That's just what I think. Well, I think part of that has to do with the fact that this movie is so nonsensical. I kind of literally <laughs> yeah. feel like there might be a version of this movie that they filmed where she comes across amazing as a parent, but they were like, nope, that story makes sense. Let's not use any of the good scenes. Let's use all these city, like shitty scenes that she didn't even know we were filming on. Yeah, that's it. Oh, this movie. And also, I'm sorry, Jess, I thought we were going to move on, but I have a question. If your nephew just got impaled by a stick in your backyard, 
Don't you think everybody in the family should have gone to the hospital? Yeah. Yeah. Like if somebody got impaled by in my backyard, I wouldn't just expect, you know, someone else to go. And I'll be like, nah, I'll hold down the fort, you know, just in case. You know, like, no, everybody would go to the hospital to make sure, yeah, like, if- to be there just in case something goes wrong or to be there just in case it goes right. Because a kid was just impaled in your yard. And they were visiting. They were visiting. So, of course, you would have to go. I mean, of course, you would go. You would want to go because they came all that way to visit you. You, you, they visited you. So, and they, and this happened at your place. So, yeah, you got to go to the hospital. And I was thinking that same thing. I was like, what? You're not going to the hospital with them? This is just a goodbye. Okay. Movie's got a movie. Right? No logic. The dad was like, well, he's my nephew, so I'll go. Even though he's your nephew and your cousin, you guys stay here because I'm the only one that's British like they are. (laughs) All right, let's move the fuck on. Fuck this. Fuck, 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 fuck. All right, Invisible Man. So if you want to now listen to the Invisible Man part, we're going to do the same thing as we just did. Heather, no, I did you first last time. Justin, you, tell us about the Invisible Man. Okay, so unlike uh, Brahms the boy, the two, um, the Invisible Man, no commas, no colons, just the Invisible Man. Uh, I enjoyed this movie overall. Um, I think that this was a nice, especially if you're looking for something that's a thriller with uh, horror elements, or maybe you you even just say it's horror. But either way, man, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought that uh, the premise versus other invisible, because there's been other Invisible Man movies, but I like this premise of an abusive uh, ex-husband who's invisible coming after you. There's just something scary about that. There's just something really, you know, not only is it horrific, but the, 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 the psychology of that, what you can do with that story, how you can really dive into your characters. And I think that this movie really does that. I think it does that well. It uh, gives you a protagonist that you care about. You, you want to know what's going to happen to her. And I think that that was also the strength of the movie, too. And Elizabeth Moss, I, I just have to say, Man, she's, I mean, I've always enjoyed uh, Elizabeth Moss in the roles that she's in. I've always thought that she was a a good actress. But man, this movie, after seeing this, I mean, you know, there's some things that I've missed. Like, I never saw The Handmaiden's Tale and different things like that. But after seeing her in this movie... My goodness, man. I mean, her acting was just a 10 out of 10. Like every scene where she needed to be emotional, I felt like she nailed it. She was just so good at getting you to care about this person, Cecilia. It was She was just so good about that. And when she needed to be emotional, when she needed to be vulnerable, when she needed to be scared, she just was, man. And she just turned it up 100% for this. And that's really what this film needed because it lives and breathes on us caring about this character and what happens to her and how she can get out of this situation. And the movie succeeds uh, because of that. But not only that, there are just some brilliant shots in this movie. This movie is 
it knows how to build tension and it does it with silence. It does it with dark rooms and just uh, shots where you can't see everything, but you're wondering kind of what's around the corner. It really uses all of the tricks to the trade to tell uh, uh, what I thought was a very gripping story. So, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed this film. Heather, what about you? I completely agree about Elizabeth Moss. I think she was phenomenal in this. Um, I also haven't really seen her in, you know, some of the things that she's more well known for, like Handmaid's Tale and all of that. But even in the smaller roles I've seen her in, like um, in The Kitchen, which isn't a great movie at all. But she is probably the best thing about that movie. And in Us, the small role that she has in that, she's really great. So I just really think she is a, a great actress. And this is probably... Um, the biggest role that I've seen her in personally, and I think she knocked it out of the park. I think she was the reason this movie is as good as it is. I liked this movie. I, I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie by any means, but it's very gripping. From the very first scene of this movie, it's very gripping. It grabs you. It's just very, it's very intense. Um, yeah, and it just, it kind of really does keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time because you don't, really know what's going to happen for a lot of it you know and that's the that's the appeal of it that's the the suspense of it that's the the draw of it so they did a really good job with with all of those elements and yeah i mean just everything that she did to make it seem like you know she was she was terrified but then she she seemed like she was going insane for a little bit and then just you know her just every emotion that she did was perfect and dead on. So she she was kind of a flawless performance and that kind of really elevated this this movie and the story. Um I think the story was already very good. I think it was um yeah, it was a captivating story. It was well told. I think that it, you know, it was very it was easy to follow what was going on, but it it wasn't it wasn't boring. I mean, you get you get the the scary, you get the action, you get the the thriller part of it, you get the drama, um, you know, you get a little bit of everything with this movie, and even the supporting characters and the casts were what, the cast members were very good. So um, I, I do I like how they told this story. I liked how how they paced it. I liked just the um, from beginning to end, just kind of the complete story that they told with this. So. Um, it wasn't completely what I expected it to be, but, um, and I, I do appreciate that about how it was kind of marketed, but, um, but also, you know, some of it was very, um, kind of obvious stuff, but I mean, I think that was also expected, but overall I really enjoyed it. It was a very entertaining and very suspenseful movie and I really liked it. Um, I've, I've come to be really excited by this director's uh, films, because uh, this is uh, Lee Winnell. And for anybody that doesn't know, he is the photographer in the first Saw movie that's in the the room with uh, Carrie Yule's character. Oh, I didn't realize that he was the one that did this movie. Yeah, he's the director of this movie. So he helped write and direct a little bit and starred in the first Saw movie. And he's, you know, a lot of those... Uh, those movies from Twisted Pictures, he's done, you know, stuff with them. He's produced a lot of them and stuff like that. But he's just directed a few things straight up. And one of those was the movie uh, from last year called Upgrade, 
which is an utterly fantastic movie. Um, it's honestly what the movie Venom should have been. It's Venom without being Venom. I mean, it's it's that type of character arc and stuff like that. And I just, I really like this guy. And he's supposedly supposed to be doing the remake of Escape from New York. And I'm pretty excited about that. I feel like this Ooh. guy can do it. I think he can do it. Um, I mean, this movie does have some issues with it um, that I'll go into later with spoilers. But for the most part, just taking the story of the Invisible Man and making it modern and taking the focus off the Invisible Man being the main character just kind of makes it work better. Um, I would have said earlier, Justin, that you're all, you know, the whole, oh, the abusive guy being, you know, the Invisible Man. I would have said that was a spoiler earlier because I think the movie tries to hide that. But the trailer gave that away like 27 times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> it's the movie tried to do one thing and the trailers did another. And it's just another example of why studios shouldn't just hire random fucking people to do trailers. Like for trailers, they just send them a bunch of random scenes and go, hey, make a trailer. You know, they don't. A lot of filmmakers don't have control over what's actually in the trailer. Because I think if that was the case for this movie, they wouldn't have given that plot point away. Um, and I think that would have played a little bit better into it. And just knowing that going into it just kind of sucks that they did that. I think it would have been even better if there really was a lot more up in the air on, you know, is there an Invisible Man or is there not type of thing. Um, I just think that would have been more psychologically fulfilling if that wasn't given away 97 times before seeing this movie. Um but I mean, overall, this is a very well done movie. I think, I think honestly, Lee Winnell is the MVP of this movie just for the sheer fact that him and his DP, the way they framed a lot of shots, where they framed them like there would be two people in the shot. Like if you would have had two people in the shot, that's how they framed them. But then they would just have Elizabeth Moss there, or they would just have one character there, but it's a two person sh like frame shot, giving the illusion at all times. Of that the Invisible Man is almost in every scene. Just yeah, based on like how that. they framed shots. Yeah. You know, and just that little attention to detail with something like that was really nice. There are times that detail went out the window. But those little things, though, I really appreciated that. You know, that they always made sure that there was that little gap of space. Or just a chair with no one in it. Or something like that in almost every shot. Just to give you that feeling that, Maybe someone's standing there or maybe someone's sitting there and things like that. So much so that I was like even looking to see if there were any clues or if they were giving off any cues. Like it's true. Like the way that they filmed it or would show certain things, you you it, you would look twice seeing if there was something like left on purpose for you to see or notice. So that it was very cool. It just made it a more immersive experience for sure. Yeah, I was I was very much like that for the beginning part of the movie when they were doing those shots. Until, like I said, I realized that they were doing that just to give the feeling of it. And I'm not going to lie, whenever I was able to then at that point like sit back and just examine that from that point of view, it was really fun. Just being able to sit there and go, there's the gap. There's the gap. Like just looking. Like instead of me looking for clues, I started just looking for those intentional gaps where they mm -hmm. left it for a person and stuff like that. It was just a really fun thing that like that you don't always get to do with like the technical aspects of a movie. You know what I mean? Like that's not the acting. That's not this. That's not that. That's very much, you know, the behind the camera technical aspects of making a movie. And it was really fun getting to like play around with that in my head 
you know, to, to appreciate that uh, aspect of what they were doing. And unfortunately, I just feel like that that's, it's one of those things where you want this to get recognition for that. And I just feel like this type of movie and this early in the year and stuff like that, you're, it's just going to get overshadowed by stuff. And that's fine. It's just one of those things where, you know, I'm not saying it needs to win an Academy Award or something like that. I mean, depending on what comes out for the rest of the year, I might think that that's the best cinematography of the year. Who knows? But it's just, you know what I mean? I just want somebody like in the industry to go, that was damn good technical work. Here's a technical award. You know what I mean? Or a technical nomination, you know? And uh, I, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks that movies are being ruined by CGI and we need more, you know, practical effects over CGI effects. But I do think the use that they did in a lot of stuff in this movie with the practical effects actually works really well because they did most of the stuff with practical effects. Um, and I think that just kind of, that kind of heightens it a little bit to where you're getting real reactions to a physical thing that you can't see. You know, a lot of it was done with like strings and stuff like that, you know. And I think that that really kind of just adds to it. So you don't get an actor just playing against something that's not there. An actor can physically act towards something. And I just think that that kind of deepens it a little bit in this instant, you know, for how they were playing with this movie. And also, it kind of just adds more to like what they were able to do with this movie because this movie had a $7 million budget. Wow. And you cannot tell by looking at it. Like when it comes to the special effects of especially the invisible man and stuff like that, I don't think we got cheapened out on it. And I think it's because of how smartly they played this movie. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, I think they just kind of had a clear vision of what they wanted to do. You know what I mean? It wasn't like an idea of, Oh, we need to figure out how we're going to do, you know, all these invisible scenes and just kind of made stuff up as they went, you know, like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if the invisible man did this? I think they just kind of had a plan with how they were going to handle it. Like, you know, this scene's going to be this and they didn't deviate from it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like they yeah. had their shots planned and so they knew what they were going to do. So it wasn't just a, Oh, we need to add this fight scene with the invisible man that we need to add all this shit into, you know, they just, they knew the scenes they were going to go for. And they stuck with that plan. And I think that that's where you're getting, as far as the studio is concerned, a budget fucking movie. And as far as the audience is concerned, I easily could have thought that this was like a 50 or $60 million movie. And it was fucking nothing. It cost them fucking nothing. And that's, I don't know, that's more, like I said, I think Lee Winnell is by far the MVP of this movie. I understand Elizabeth Moss did great acting and all this other stuff, but I think Lee Winnell and his direction and his plan and his story with this is what made this movie work more so than I think her acting, which is, is very good. Um, so let's go ahead and go into this part. Uh, uh, Heather, what's your recommendation and score? I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's a really fun movie. It not fun, like as in it's funny, but it's entertaining. It's an entertaining movie and um, it's satisfying. Like the movie, you come out of it and you're just like, okay, I got a complete story um and all of that so it's it's gripping it's compelling it's great acting it's you know great direction like you were just saying uh yeah definitely recommend it i will give this movie um i'll give it 85 um meetings at a restaurant with your sibling out of 100 justin what about you 
All right. So, yeah, I definitely recommend this film. I think as far as like uh, your your thrillers go, horror thrillers, this is probably the most quality one that's currently out at this moment. Um, it's 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 very well acted. And it like we said, it's very well shot. It's got a great sense of tension and pace. So I feel like it will keep you on the edge of your seat throughout every for every scene that I, that, that I saw something compelling was happening or I was into what the characters were saying or doing. And it has likable characters as well as characters you love to hate. So I think for, for me that that's all of that is strong enough for a recommendation and it does have some problems, but I think that overall the positives do far outweigh the negatives for this film. So for those reasons, I can recommend it. And I'm in a similar boat with Heather. Uh, I rested on a score of 87. So we're going to go with we're going to go with 87 um, stupid dog bowls that get in the way when you're trying to escape your abusive husband out of 100. Uh, no, I, I did very much enjoy this movie. It does have some issues to me when it comes to pacing that I will get more specific with in spoilers because it is very spoilery uh, with it for me. Um, but overall, as far as horror movies go, it is hands down without a shadow of a doubt, the champion of 2020 thus far. I mean, I'm, I'm no offense to this movie. I do hope it gets dethroned at some point just because we've got a lot of year left and I hope to God we didn't peak with horror movies in fucking end of February for the year 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's hands down the best horror movie I've seen all year. It's going to be the best horror movie I've seen in a long time. I'm trying to remember what horror movies and shit we saw last year. But the last one I remember seeing was It Chapter 2. And this is way better than that. I mean, A, it didn't, you know, take me, you know, six hours to watch it. So that's always a plus. Uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very good movie that could have been great. If it weren't, I think, for some obstacles that were unnecessarily put in its way. Uh, I'm going to give this movie 80 teenage girls that need to understand where a punch comes from out of 100. So so let's go into spoilers. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. And I'm going to start spoilers off with something I guess I could have done in the last part. Um, with my Sterling's box office minute uh, about this movie. So like I said, it came up with a $7 million budget. Opening weekend... 28 million domestic and 48 million worldwide. So this is a ravaging success also. Nice. Sitting at roughly seven times its budget. Opening weekend alone. That's crazy. Which then makes you wonder about movies like Harley Quinn and, and Birds of Prey. Like, wow. It just, it's a, it's a lot different, you know? Like, why did more people go to this movie than that opening weekend? And I'm just trying to think of something where it's a female-led movie that's rated R. And I'm just now thinking these thoughts because I've just now looked up the box office on these. Um, I mean, granted, they are two different genres. So that definitely does, you know, make a difference. I think horror movies, horror movies and action movies, like straight, ooh, maybe not anymore. Horror movies can always survive in the rated R. Or horror movie can always make its money being rated R. I guess maybe action movies can't anymore. Like, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, an action movie being rated R could still be box office gold for what it is. When, yeah. you're, when you're looking at your like predators and your true lies and things like that. But I think nowadays, I mean, shit outside of what the John Wick movies, you can get a PG 13 action movie and it work. 
And I think comic book movies are the reason behind that. You know, most comic book movies essentially still have all the violence, just none of the gore when it comes to their action scenes, you know? Yeah. And in doing so, I think they've made action being a rated R, you know, type of thing slightly irrelevant. Like I said, outside of John Wick, because you watch John Wick on FX, it's just not the same. But you watch that John Wick on HBO, fucking delightful. Um, no, let's let's actually talk about this movie. Um, God, the trailers fucked this movie so bad because this movie was paced to be you maybe being unsure what's what for the first half of the movie. And unfortunately, the trailers ruined that. So instead, the pacing becomes a little weird when you know what it is the whole movie. Like you spend, they spend so much time like the is it or isn't it when you know what the answer is. And to me, when you're watching it, that makes it a little awkward for the first half of the movie, you know? Because then once they get into it, when they're like, yeah, definitively, there's an invisible man, it works a lot better pacing-wise. But just, to me, it dragged a little because of that. And like I said, it's not it's not the, the movie's fault as much as it is the trailer's fault for giving that away so fucking early. Like, oh. There's been a lot of movies that have been spoiled by trailers, but this one, I think, really got fucked by it. Um, I also had issues with, there's a scene where the, the, the invisible man gets paint thrown on him and he's able to make it to a sink, wait for her to be looking around for him, turn on the sink, get himself washed off and dried. <laughs> yeah. Faster than yeah, she that, can that walk part. a room over. Like, holy fuck. And like I said, there's the teenage girl who's like, yeah, let's have a girl's night. And then gets punched by the invisible man. And she's like, she punched me from like eight feet away, lying down. <laughs> like, come on, little girl. You know damn well she didn't punch you. And like, and then you do get into a lot of the things, the aspects of it, like the plan and the way they showed it implemented meant that that guy is like standing around in situations for hours and hours upon end. Like when he's terrorizing her in the mental institution slash prison. Like, he would have to be, like, standing in her room for, like, eight hours, not eating, not drinking, not using the restroom. And then, like, certain aspects of it, too, were just insanely convenient with, like, the she dosed him with diazepam so she could escape. But then to get back at her, he dosed her with diazepam so she'd pass out at a job interview. But, like, how would they know how much diazepam to give her to perfectly react in that way in an undeterminate amount of time later. And then also her best friend or whatever is a cop, but he's also the worst cop ever because she shows up with a pill bottle covered in blood and he doesn't bother to go, Hey, there's a lot of blood on that in any situation. That's highly suspicious. Let me just yeah. go ahead and look at that so we can get some lab tests done on it. Because if it's the husband's blood or the boyfriend's blood or whatever, that would be suspicious that you have it. Like there would just be so many reasons why that should have been tested, but he just went, nah, dude, she's got a bloody, bloody pill bottle and she's my friend. So I believe her. And you're like, dude, be a cop. Bitch has a bloody pill bottle. And like, it's not like just a, Oh, I got a Nick on my hand. No, there's legitimate large amounts of blood on that pill bottle to where no one should be comfortable looking at it and not thinking that's suspicious as fuck either way. And then I'm not going to lie. I hated that scene in the restaurant 
when the sister gets her throat cut. Because, like, how did he get that knife there? Because if it looked like the knife that he had in the attic. Like, so did this guy walk to the restaurant just carrying a knife? And nobody thought it's weird that a knife was floating down the street? Let's just assume that he got that knife at the restaurant. That's a kitchen knife. That's not a table knife. That means he went into the kitchen of this restaurant and carried it out to the table. And nobody thought it was weird that a knife was floating around this restaurant? Like, come on. I know part of it is like the people see what they want to see type of stuff. But somebody's going to notice a knife floating around. And then all of a sudden it's there. Cuts her throat. And then snaps into her hand like it was a fucking yo-yo. Like, do you remember those yo-yos back in the day? There was like the yo-yo ball that wasn't really a yo-yo. It was just a ball on a fucking like spring mechanism (laughs) string that would just automatically come back to your hand because it literally could do nothing else. That's what that knife did to her hand. Just perfect. Just hand. Like, come on. That was a little weird. Um, Yeah, and I just, you know, and once again with movies like this, if there was a supernatural element to it, I'd be a little bit more forgiving. Like a movie like a Jason or with a, with a villain like a Jason or a Freddy Krueger or something like that, or even a Mike Myers, where just the villain has the ability to always know where to go and always know how to get out of a room or, you know what I mean, always know exactly how to enter or exit wherever they're at. But I'm so tired of seeing movies about regular-ass people, even if they are like a genius, you know, optical designer or whatever the fuck it is, or just some criminal motherfucker or just some crazy motherfucker always knowing how to sneak in and out of a room perfectly every time. Like, it just it's just a weird trope that I think after decades of seeing it has just worn me very thin. And while this movie handled it way better, because at least he's a genius, and at least he has a suit that literally makes him invisible, so I guess he could have tripped and fallen a couple of times or just instead of escaping a room, just kind of, you know, did a solid snake and just, like, laid flat against the wall and nobody would have known. But it's just these intricate plans that require absolute precision and detail just never failing once or maneuvers of getting around and in and out of places and stuff like that and it never failing once like those things just kind of bother me and also why did his breath come out of that suit all perfect that that suit doesn't look like it has good ventilation (laughs) right i don't think his breath would have been perfectly formed coming out of that suit of spider eyes but like I said, though, once this movie started going with just the it's a man in a suit, it was kind of it, 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 that's when to me it got really fun. Those fight scenes with him and those guards in that in that hallway was really cool. I really liked the way they did that. Yeah. And where his suit was just yeah. flickering on and off when he did it because of the damage it had taken. I thought that was really cool. But anyway, let's move on to one of you guys. I don't know. Who's next? Who is it? Is it Justin or Heather? Um, I it's think you because you spoke. Because I think that's it started. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. That's the rule now. That's how I was doing um, it. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um. No. I think I. I do agree with a lot of that. I, and I really did also like that scene in the hallway. And while they did give a lot of that away in the trailer with like the the guards that he's fighting, it still was very like suspenseful because of the whole flickering on and off suit, and they didn't reveal that in the trailer, which was good. Um, yeah, it was, um, I think for the most part, it, and I, I do agree. I like that they made it to where it was like a suit that was causing him to be invisible or whatever it was. I, um, my, one of my issues that I had with it was 
you know, a big part of this is that towards the end, she finds out that she's pregnant. And I guess my whole thing is if if the guy, if um, Invisible Man knew that, like, why was he just like knocking her around like crazy when that could potentially harm the baby? But I guess you could make the argument that he didn't know necessarily until she was um, like told that by the doctor in the hospital or whatever. But either way, I was just like, he was a little bit like rough with her even after he found that out, if it was in the room. So I was just like, if your whole thing is like, no, you need her to stay alive because she's going to have your baby. Why are you like knocking her around like that? So I don't know. But um, also, I think really my biggest issue with the film was the fact that she was so set on proving to everybody that she wasn't crazy and that this was a real thing. Yet anytime she went anywhere, she went by herself. She went to his house by herself. She went to all these things by herself. And it was like, if it were me, I'd be like, hey, someone come with me so you could be a witness that I'm not insane or something. Or, hey, come with me so that I don't die trying to prove this is true. So I think it was a very bad call on her part to just be going everywhere where this guy could be by herself. You know, especially if she was so afraid of him that she wanted to disappear from him altogether. So I thought that was like, okay, what are you doing there? But, um, and also the fact that she did not prepare well for leaving him. Like that very opening scene, which I thought the way they opened the movie was amazing. I loved that that was the first scene and they make it very, um, just very suspenseful where it draws you in immediately. But I'm just kind of like, if she was like, okay, I need to get out of here and really just minimize how loud I'm going to be even if I have sedated him she was just not prepared to leave that house she had to like go into a closet and open this like huge metal thing or whatever to get her bag out and like go up in the ceiling and do all this stuff and it was like why didn't you try to do all that before like and your bag wasn't even packed and ready like it just seemed like she had so many things that she should have done before she tried to just leave like that like she should have just been like all right everything's good to go like those pills under her bed that she got you know like everything should have been ready to go if she was like that determined to leave and it was just like it was almost like she you you could tell she planned it but it seemed like she didn't with how sporadic she was with like oh I gotta get this and this and this you know I just feel like she should have been a little bit more prepared if she was that worried about waking him up so those were really my two biggest issues with it where I was like all right well that's you know, like, let's, let's do better with that. But, um, but other than the things that you, we've already mentioned, like, I, I thought it was, um, you know, I know that they kind of throw you for a loop too, with the brother and the brother's character and how actually important he became in the film where he was kind of like a, um, a sidekick or whatever you want to call it. I, I didn't actually see that coming. So I do appreciate that they, they kind of threw for a loop a little bit there. You know, they um, they kind of do a misdirect with it. Um, but it, I guess how they told it mostly made sense, like why they were trying to do that. But just also, um, I don't know, I just feel like why would his brother, if his brother hated him that much, like why would he be willing to do all that for him and kill people for him and all these things? So it just kind of was like more so why why are these people doing the things they're doing in this movie is <laughs> kind of a big thing for me in it. Um, but I do also agree like that little girl 
um, Storm Reed, who I actually really like. She's in a lot of movies. She's in Euphoria. She's very good. She's a very good actress. Um, but yeah, I was like, that clearly was not Elizabeth Moss. Like, she clearly could not have been the one that punched you. That was so far away. Like, it was just, yeah, just a lot of the things that they did with it. I like what they were trying to do, but they didn't execute it, I think, as well as they could have in some of those things. Um, but I mean, yeah, and like Elizabeth Moss really just, she was really amazing in in everything she did. And even down to that final scene, you know, when she's, um, when she goes and has dinner with him and all these things, she played it so well. Like I almost, like I kind of started figuring out what was about to happen. And then I was like, oh, like, what's she going to do? And then when everything went down at the end, I was like, oh, okay. Well, she she definitely used that suit that she stole. <laughs> so it was just really, um, you know, like you get that ending that you feel satisfied with how that all ends. And you feel like, you know, she she got justice for all the things that happened and all of this. So, yeah, I mean, I just I came out of the movie and I was like, all right, I like how that went down. Like, I like how it ended up and all this. So, yeah, I mean, I really there's there's not a whole lot really to dislike except for just those little inconsistencies that Sterling, you had talked about. And then a couple of ones I just mentioned, that's really the only things like the pacing wasn't bad. It was just more of, yeah, just the little inconsistencies where you're like, wait, that wouldn't make sense with this. But overall, I still really enjoyed it. Justin, what about you? Um, all right. So th- this is always just a weird section because if I start with the negatives, then I feel like I didn't do the positive. So I always just like to go positive, negative. It just seems easier. So I'll just do that. Um, the, uh, yeah, but but I wanted to say something about that opening scene because um, like Heather complimented it, but... I really thought that that opening scene is probably one of the best opening scenes that I've seen in a while in the movie. I mean, just everything from how it starts with the silence and her kind of slowly slipping out of bed. And it's not even registering what's happening because at first you're kind of thinking, okay, she's slipping out of bed because she doesn't want to wake him, you know, kind of being, uh, courteous, I guess you could say, you know, she just doesn't want to wake him up. But then you're realizing as you see her doing things and as it unfolds that, oh, she's trying to escape. So like, I like how at first it wasn't a hundred percent clear what was happening. And then as you see her frantically going around grabbing stuff, it was apparent what she was doing. And I just loved how it was quiet, how she was doing all these things and they were just not giving you any noise yet. And it was building and building and building. And then all of a sudden, boom, she steps on that dog bowl and it just makes this big noise. And uh, several people jumped in the theater. My friend right next to me jumped. And I was like, and I and I didn't jump, but I appreciated the reaction it got in the theater. And I was like, hell yeah, man. That's how you do a jump scare, man. After sitting through something like The Boy and seeing all these mundane, cliche jump scares, when everybody jumped in that theater, when she hit that dog ball, I was like, hell yeah, man. That's how you do this shit. So I just had to uh, give a shout out to that. I think that, you know, we don't ever rank things or, well, we do rank stuff, but 
we we never rank like little things in movies like best openings, best endings and stuff. We ought to do that one of these times. But th- that opening though, that that was a hell of an opening to me. And, and the way I took it, Heather, I understand your complaint about she didn't seem that prepared. But to me, the way I felt about it, the way she talked about this guy and how controlling he was and how he liked to control every decision she made and what she down to what she ate, what she said, even her thoughts. I just imagine that it would be tough for her to have. If he saw a backpack, he'd be like, what's this? Or if he saw it, I mean, he just, it just, he just seemed like the kind of guy who would go behind her, look at stuff, check to see if stuff is clean, look through things that she went through and be like, okay, so what did you do today? You're not lying to me, right? And going around seeing, I don't know. I just feel like maybe it had to look like there was no plan to leave in order for her to be able to uh, hatch the plan. So I don't know. I just feel like as controlling as he was, and as observant as he was about just controlling her actions and everything, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm just saying another way to look at it is maybe it would have been difficult for her to prepare anything and him not notice or see or um, anything like that. Though that does lead to an inconsistency I'm going to talk about in my dislikes later. But that that's kind of how I took it as as controlling and as captive as he was to as far as his perspective to her she probably it probably had to look like there was nothing absolutely nothing going on before she could hatch her escape and then I like the little interest intricacies in there too like even the dog had a shock collar uh on him so so like you know you could just tell that this guy is all about uh, controlling people in that control. And one complaint I have is that I just didn't really get to understand the why. And you talked about that, Heather. You talked about I didn't really understand uh, why he was doing certain things or I just wanted more explanation in that in that area of it. I just wanted to know more about like how this guy got like this was he always like this was it what because she said that it started with just little things of him wanting control so he was always like this was this something that you know and then the brother obviously maybe he was controlling him or persuasive to him persuaded him to do all these different things and they talked about his ability to adrian i think it was the name of the character his ability to uh persuade people and get his way and things like that so it would have just been nice to see more of that uh i wanted to see some flashbacks of and i know maybe it's kind of cliche but i wanted to get a bit a better picture of the abuse that this character went through I, i wanted to see some of that play out or maybe they were in public and she said something and then he you know, they went somewhere and he said something to her or stuff. I wanted to see more of the abuse just so I could uh, connect with how horrific that must have been. And maybe they thought better of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe they were like, well, 
you get it. We don't need all of that. But I think that 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 um, the movie could have used that just so we could have even invested even more in this journey that she was taking. And I think there were opportunities to do that. I think one missed opportunity was just after that opening scene towards the beginning where her the 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 cop friend is asking her are you ready to talk about what happened over there and she said no i'm not ready then she goes in the bathroom and she kind of curls up and i just knew we were about to see a flashback i just knew we were about yeah. to see some of I what she the went same through thing. and then we saw nothing so it almost felt like that's where it should have been. And then there was just nothing. And I'm not saying that you need to do the same old cliche thing. Honey, do you want some eggs? Bam. No. Did I say I wanted eggs? I, I'm not saying it has to be so over dramatic and cliche. But I think that as stylish as this movie was and the way it was shot, you, you know, you could have done something cool like even if it showed her reacting to abuse, but you never really saw him or like you would see shadows of him or silhouettes of him standing over her, but she would be like all in pain and stuff. Just you could have done some cool things where, and that would have been kind of cool given that this is the invisible man. Maybe you don't show him, but you show the effects of his abuse through flashback and stuff like that. So I think that you could have kept in the theme of the movie and still done some of that without it being uh, so cliche. So that was definitely one thing uh, that I wanted. Uh, the, the, the only thing about the, the, the reveal with the brother uh, that I thought was weird, kind of like that that scene that you guys were talking about with the paint. I totally thought the same thing. How did he wash all that off of himself without being noticed and stuff like that? Or how do people never hear any footsteps? Or, I mean, how good must this guy be at slipping in doors right when people opening them without him making a noise and all that stuff? So all of those, you know, little things aside, but I was thinking about the brother and him being at the house uh, trying to get the daughter and everything. And I was like, okay, so I know that that wasn't the brother at the psych, at the, at the hospital. So did they drive, I guess he drove somewhere and then they switched suits because she stole the second suit. So that means that they would have had to have met somewhere, right? And he would have been like, brother, you take it. I think there's three suits. Okay, so there's three. Of I think some of this works because both of the brothers had suits and were wearing them at different times. I think this movie okay. only works if there are two people being the invisible man randomly throughout the movie. But that okay. couldn't have been the same suit that the crazy boyfriend guy was wearing because that one took damage. Like that okay. one was going out in and out. You know what I mean? That wasn't what we got at the house. That has to be two different suits or okay. otherwise we, sh or to me, at least we should have seen, seen the flickering of the damage then, you know what I mean? And the fact that we didn't get that at all at the house to me shows that that is the other suit, that that is another suit because okay, we only know, like we know he had one and we know she hid the other, but like there wasn't even a place for the suit he was wearing when she found the other, you know what I mean? So there had to have been other suits around. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that the brother had his own suit. So, I mean, that's not 
it's not like that's so far fetched that that couldn't have happened. So that's cool. I was just what you know. It, it was just that I guess just since I saw only two suits, I was thinking. There are two, and she took one, so are they sharing this one? But I totally get where you're coming from with that. That's true. It, it, it didn't look like the suit that he wore was damaged or anything like that. So, yeah, uh, so, so yeah, you have to assume that they did, that, that I guess there were three. But with that third suit, or I guess not the, the, the one the brother had, but the one that she stole— he didn't notice that 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 she took that you you know that that was another thing that was just kind of i I heard a fan theory about that okay why would he notice it when the suit was invisible anytime you walk by it you didn't see the suit you saw it with the cameras engaged and it being invisible so Hmm. when you're just walking by the room you're not looking over there and noticing that it's gone you would have to look at that little tablet that was on the wall and see that the camera was like that it wasn't like linked up to anything anymore. It wasn't on a like a little mannequin or something though. Didn't no, no, she no. peel it off of something it, that was sitting there though? I don't. I didn't think it was on a mannequin. I just thought it was on like it was you know had those little it had that little stand thing around it, but that would still look like it's empty. You know what I mean? I don't remember it being on a mannequin. Part of it, the face part of it had like a little mannequin head behind it because she took it off and she was afraid it was going to be him in it. I remember that part, but it was just, I think it was just the mannequin head though. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, don't remember. So, so say it was on a mannequin. I mean, I guess technically she could have just thrown that in the garbage and nobody noticed or just, you know, put it somewhere else. You know yeah. I mean? If she puts that, yeah. Cause it was a black, there was something black. There was like a black something that it was draped on that. I remember she peeled, she peeled the, the, the top part off of it. I, I do vividly remember that and there was something black like a head piece or i can't say it was like a mannequin it didn't look like a. it wasn't like perfectly in the shape of a person but it was something black to where it fit the shape of that thing but you're right if she gets rid of that and all he walks in and sees is just uh nothing right there then yeah he would assume it was there so yeah I guess you can explain that away too, but I was like, man, I think he would have noticed that, but okay. Yeah. If she throw it, but I didn't think about, could she have removed that black piece or whatever that it was hanging on and throw that away. So yeah, you're right. If she gets rid of that, then yeah, he wouldn't have noticed because the suit was totally invisible. So, okay. But yeah, those were just uh, some of the nitpicks that, um, really that I had in the film. But other than that, man, I really enjoyed this. And yeah, I get what you're saying. Like uh, in the restaurant scene, how the knife just perfectly got there and then perfectly went in her hand. But to me, man, whenever her throat suddenly gets cut, that was shocking, man. I was like, I just did not see that coming like i figured somebody would be killed i knew one of her one or you know you figured a few of her her friends in this would be killed but man just at the table when all of a sudden when the knife just flew up and the throat got cut i was like oh damn you know it really was kind of a uh, a, a shock to most people that were watching it. So, and, and that's just the thing about this movie. Like, the, they did a good job with a lot of the different story elements. Like you said, once we knew he was the Invisible Man, and we knew that, oh yeah, 
it's full on invisible man we're not playing games anymore we're all in on this invisible suit and everything man i i just thought it was just a very fun ride and it was scenes like that that just uh stick out in my mind as memorable but yeah overall um enjoyed the film uh d- despite its problems i mean i guess to me in that scene when he's holding that knife and then he cuts the sister's throat and puts it in her hand it just doesn't move like somebody holding a knife and putting it in someone else's hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my issues yeah. with it is it just snaps into her hand. Like she's fucking Magneto. Like it didn't just go like, it's just in her hand. I'm like how that's no. And like to me, when he's holding the knife and stuff like that, how are those cameras that perfect to see that, but discount, the, you know what I mean? Like those aspects of it, it are a little weird in that instance when it being a suit with cameras and shit like that. Like how do they focus on something it's holding and project the image on the other side? Because like you're so close. It's like look at your look at your camera like on your phone and put something really close to it. It distorts the image. Like I know that that's really nitpicky and stuff like that. But when you're focusing on some of those stuff in the movie, like when it does something weird, it then causes me to focus on the other things. Like the way that knife moved in that situation then made me think about the other inaccuracies of that scene. I'm not thinking about that part when, and I'm saying it now because I've had time to think about it, but like when he's going through that scene in the, and he's battling all those security guards and shit, he would have some blood on the suit. And like, how would the cameras know to not project that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not yeah. thinking about that though during the scene because the scene was really cool. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking about that then. I could think about it later. It did not bug me per se, but things like that I did think about with the knife scene because that scene bothered me. So then I think about the other ways that that scene wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? Like just like the paint scene. Like it was just so quick and weird that I'm like the nitpicking, like the physics of getting over there to wash all that off that he'd have to dry himself off to also have, you know, no water projecting or water outlining himself. You know what I mean? Like, because the scene was weird, I'm then nitpicking other things. But then, like, other scenes of it that were really cool and stuff like that, I'm not nitpicking the inaccuracies of it at the time. And No, and I thought... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and one thing you were talking about earlier with the brother that, like, you know, where you were talking about how, like, how long has that guy been that way and stuff like that. Well, and I, you know, whether or not he was manipulating the brother to help him is one thing, but the brother does say that, you know, what he was with you, he was with me my whole life. So the brother does say that this guy has been a controlling asshole his entire existence. Like that is at least given to us in a line of dialogue, even if it wasn't shown. Uh, Yeah, I totally get that. But then the brother's on his team. So then it's like, okay, did the brother say that to try to throw her off the scent at the time or is that the truth and the brother is just another manipulated pawn in this thing you know what i mean because he said that but then he was also in cahoots with them so are we to believe what was it like he's telling the truth but at the same time He's given her some truth, but at the same time, he knows that he's in on the deal. Or was that like, I'm telling you this because I'm trying to throw you off the scent of me and and fool you. We, we just don't know. 
I'm going to hope that wasn't the case because was anybody ever really on the trail of the brother? Like that part of it, I'm like, whatever, you know, like, yeah. So I don't know. I hope they weren't trying to throw us off the trail of no, the trail that nobody was cared to be on anyway. I, well, I, I have a thought and I was wondering if maybe if it's just me that thought it or not, but the scene when the brother is visiting um, Elizabeth Moss character in Moss's character in, in the jail, like, did it kind of, do you think that like right then when, you know, when he's talking to her, do you think that the, the boyfriend is talking to the brother at that moment and that's why he knew about the pregnancy? Do you think it was because he was there? No, because we would have heard him too, right? So yeah. he wasn't he, talking he to him right then. He would have had okay. an earpiece or something. But I think, okay. you know, they just had a meeting or something like that. Or for all we know, the yeah. brother was the one in the invisible suit getting, you know, intel at the time. True. Yeah, that's true. Well, just because there was some kind of, I feel like in that scene, he had some kind of like weird hesitation thing that he did, like right before he said that to her. And I didn't know if that was supposed to imply that he's getting that information right then. But you're right, because we would have heard him because we, we always could hear him when he spoke. But yeah, so I just didn't know if that was something they were trying to do or if I just made that up. But yeah, you're right, because they would have we would have heard him say it, too. Well, and I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the initial scene. He was pretending that he was OK with the brother being dead and stuff and telling her, you know, I'm w what you went through. I went through too, kind of trying to get her on his side and then. And that scene, it was a reveal that he does actually know what's going on. And he is actually in on this. And he is actually aware that the brother is alive. And there are these demands that the brother has for her. So I think that was kind of, I think it was played that way because it was supposed to be kind of our surprise that nope, the brother yeah. was pretending to. Which is why I'm questioning how he phrased that when he talked to Elizabeth Moss at the beginning. And just to comment on something you mentioned earlier, though, Justin, the like, I guess one reason why I was okay with him not showing abuse or him abusing her in this movie like that was kind of like, I'm tired of seeing that in movies. You don't always have to show the abuse. You can just kind of just say it at a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, especially when there wasn't really any denial that he was abusive. So just, I mean, it's fine to just kind of say it and not show it in this instance. Like, because we don't really need more scenes of a man just abusing a woman to have an abusive relationship. You know, like, I mean, I guess to me, that's why it didn't bother me is I was yeah. just fine without seeing that. No, I mean, I could see it both ways. I think I just not necessarily that they needed it, but maybe I just expected it. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, especially like what Jason was saying with the scene where she's sitting down in the shower, I legit was like, oh, we're about to see a flashback of it. So I think it was just more, I expected it more so than I wanted to see it or I felt like it was necessary. Um, but I do also think another clever thing about it is how they don't really show much of the husband prior to the end when you know he's still alive or whatever so um even you know at the beginning yes they show him but barely like they show him sleeping in bed you know and then that's kind of the only only time we really see him until the end like it's just kind of cool how 
how very much he you feel like he's such a huge part of this movie yet we do not see him at all leading up to you know the end with the big reveal of everything so i i thought that was really well done because you it's kind of like you know he's the villain you know that you should be looking out for him or aware of him being the bad guy in this yet we don't really see much of him before he becomes the invisible man so i thought it was kind of cool that they did it that way where they didn't necessarily have to show a lot of him prior to that to to kind of get across the vibe of who he was and all of that and it kind of made it at the end even a little bit more like this is surreal like this is what he looks like when he's not being the invisible man this is him alive and here in person it's crazy so i i just like how they did that oh yeah and i totally understand that and that's why i said um that that my suggestion was the the way it's done because yeah like i said you you want to avoid uh cliches and stuff like that and that's why i was like what might have been cool is actually not showing him but showing her reacting to all of these things or showing different scenes of her kind of going through that but not actually showing him i I actually kind of suggested that and thought that would be a cool way to take something that's cliche like that but showcase it in a way to where we can understand some of the trauma that she went through without her just saying it because i don't know man i'm just i i I just i just feel like sometimes it's always you know when you can show you want to show rather than exposit i just feel like showing just usually is more impactful but i think for this kind of film you you could have done some stylish things with that and not been slow so cliche but i agree if it was the same old like i said oh where are my eggs and she gets slapped across the table and stuff that would have been dumb but i think if you stylized it and not shown him but just shown Elizabeth Moss getting to do some acting and reacting to certain things, or maybe she's already been hit, but she's on the ground and you just see like the silhouette standing over, or you see like different things, you know, you could have done some cool different things where you don't show him. So he's still that invisible man, you know what I mean? But you still get her reactions to some abuse. So that way, when she's sitting in the corner and she's cuddled up or she's having these post-traumatic kind of moments and stuff like that, it would just, to me, it would have just, those visual things would have brought more levity to those scenes. But did the movie need it? No. She was, did it need it? No. I just was just something I would have liked to have seen in it. But Elizabeth Moss acting was, uh, was good enough. I mean, it was, well, really was great that I bought it. I believed her. I believed that she was this person who had went through this horrific time and everything like that, because which speaks to her acting, you know, it was so convincing that you you that that they probably said you know what we we don't really need those scenes because she's gonna nail it and if that was the thought process she did and the and it and it kind of is within the theme of the movie and that's why i said don't really show him but show her reacting because i get that the one of the themes of the film is that that's what it feels like when when I've talked to people who've been through abuse and stuff like that. That's kind of some of the things that some of these people have said or similar things that they have said. There are things that remind you of that person or there are things that 
take you back to that abuse or sometimes it feels like that's still happening to you or that person is there even though they're not so that whole invisible concept of him not being there but her being able to feel him her uh yeah. having feelings and thinking about what happened in the past and stuff like that a lot of him not being there is very much a part of showcasing is the metaphor for that trauma that abuse victims go through which is another reason why this film is so effective but you know yeah and i i yeah i totally get that like if they had not shown him at all until the very end that would have been just as effective i think the only thing i would have wanted though is just still having the voice hearing his voice because that was such a big part of like how she knew at the end like no this was definitely you this whole time because she recognized his voice when he was talking to her you know so that part i would have still wanted at least him talking but yeah if they hadn't have shown him until the end totally no problem because that actually yeah it would have been um you know it would have added more i think to to the story so yeah I don't know. I mean, to me, I guess I, th the reason why I didn't think even any of that was necessary is because to me, she was acting to the abuse just in the way she was traumatized afterwards. And I guess that's why to me, it just, I didn't think about ever that it needed to show any of that, even if it was just showing her side of her or anything like that. Cause to me, they were already showing that. And I just think in general, just the idea that they're always like that there needs to like show. And I know that's not what you're saying, but just the need to show it in any way, shape or form, I think is just too gratuitous always. And by just showing that you can still see abuse, even when you're not seeing the abuse, I think was just more effective to me and just yeah. kind of fit with what the, this movie was doing uh, a little bit more. I mean, that's just in my yeah. head. That's what I was going through with when I was seeing that and stuff like that is just, it just makes more sense to have her, just show those aspects of it because by keeping him essentially outside of the first few minutes, essentially not being a character at all in the movie until the end, I just, I, I, I liked that a lot more because yeah. by going to, and doing flashbacks, you're going back to him being a person at that point or him being a specific character at that point. Whereas with the way they did it, he is only a character outside of the first couple of minutes and at the end. He's only a character essentially in word because you can argue that maybe he didn't know it. And maybe it was his brother the whole time. And he really was just kidnapped and, you know, in his basement the whole time. Theoretically, that is a possibility. I understand that it's not really because it's not, but theoretically that is a possibility. And that would mean for 99% of this movie, he was actually not there and yet was there. He was felt, he was, uh, still an influence he was very much a character in the movie without being in the movie and so i think those aspects of it i liked a little bit more and i liked the fact that there wasn't flashbacks because just living in fear and just talking about the stories and just kind of being alive with those memories is kind of just the same thing as them being there you know or seeing it happen it's still the same outcome and stuff like that and i would much rather i mean to me focus on the things that you don't see in movies much which is actually the trauma itself and things like that you you they rarely ever focus on those aspects of it without it being a flashback to something else you know so actually just having it be her there just with the memories and not seeing the memories just yeah you get to focus on her with it 
I think is what you don't get to see in movies enough. And so I appreciated that that's the route they took. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, I I agree. And I think it, it just had, it followed the very specific theme of, you know, what you don't see is the biggest part of the issue. Like him being the invisible man, but also the fact that, you know, the abuse and everything, she didn't tell anybody about it. So it's kind of like there would have been no trace of that at all. And that's why it was so much easier to make her feel like she was crazy because it's like, well, nobody's seen proof of this before and nobody could see me. And it was just a very good, consistent theme of what you don't see is the thing that matters. And I did like how they did that very well in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, like I said, just something I thought could have it could have enhanced it, but definitely was not anything that the movie needed to do or anything like that. And definitely, like the idea of him not being there is kind of what they're talking about. You know, like because with any kind of abuse or trauma, sometimes even though that trauma is removed or that thing or that person is removed. If for a person battling that who still hasn't really overcome that to a certain degree, it's like they're going through it, even though they're not. It's like that thing, that conflict is still there, even though it can't be seen or it's not physically there. It is still very much a part of your world. And that was and that uh, was was the overall metaphor of this. And that definitely comes across. So I do agree in that regard. Any final thoughts, guys? Nope. I'm good. All right. And on that note, guys, thank you guys for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Cinema underscore Slayers. Hey, if you're tired of me always being an asshole and you want to see me get some pain, um, design a voodoo shark, guys. Uh, we're taking submissions up until March 31st. You can email them at cinemaslayerspodcast at gmail.com or send it to them us. Uh, Send them to us on Facebook. And if we get enough submissions, anything like that, we'll even put it up to a vote and you get to decide what I get tattooed on me. If we don't get enough submissions, I'm just going to pick which one I like the most. So just keep that in mind. And yeah, I'll get it tattooed on me. and We'll do some videos of me getting tattooed. And I'm just incredibly bad at getting tattoos, even though I have a lot of them. So you'll get to see me with a lot of pain faces because, like I said, I'm really bad at getting them. So yeah, so if you want to see me get some, you know, be in pain, because you don't like me, this is your chance to actually help contribute to, you know, me making terrible faces. Um, and also, we've been talking about this and stuff like that. So uh, in a couple of weeks, we want to do a, like a Q&A podcast. So uh, hit us up with some some questions and stuff like that that you want us, you know, to answer and stuff like that. Um, I would suggest keeping them, you know, to, you know, movies and TVs. But eh, fucking ask whatever you want. If, you know, if it's a terrible, you know, a terrible question or something like that. We're just not going to answer it. Let's be real. But yeah, just, if, you know, anything you want to ask us, you just uh, throw it out there. Uh, you know, message them on Facebook, message them on Twitter, message them on Instagram. Uh, email them to cinemaslayerspodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, send them to all those places and we'll check them out or just send them to one of us directly if you know one of us. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely just take those and, you know, put them all together and we'll just answer a bunch of questions for you guys. And so um, just keep an eye out for that. We're definitely going to put a post on Facebook about it uh, coming up. If you, if we already haven't by the time this comes up. So uh, just check that out and uh, ask us what you want. 
And other than that, guys, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. The boy, the mask, the son of the boy three. Nailed it. I already forgot that we talked about that. No, I didn't. I will never forget. Because it's all your fault.